0: Hello
1: podcast family, my name is Duncan Masiwa And welcome back to another episode of our Farmer Mentor Series Brought to you by Farmers Inside Track I hope you've been enjoying some of the forward-thinking farmers that we've had in this special edition I have certainly learned a lot from the farmers we've had on the series And I hope you've also been able to learn from the nuggets of wisdom that have been shared in this series over the past few weeks. Now speaking of forward-thinking farmers, she's known as the queen of Bonsmara cattle in Gauteng, and I'm really excited to be introducing her to you. Her name is Selene Saberi, and she's the founder of Bakwa Saberi Farm. They operate on 489 hectares, and their farm is involved in the production of livestock, which include cattle and sheep. They also cultivate crops like maize, soya and vegetable. But Masabedi will tell you that their main income generators are cattle and maize. Let's hear from this pioneering farmer. Masalina Sabedi, welcome.
0: Good and you, thank you.
1: Doing very well. I called you Messalina Sabedi, but there's a nickname out here that they name you. Me Pinky. Where does that come from? <laughs>
0: Me Pinky comes from Being the baby, remember those years, our mothers were getting kids at home. They were not going to the clinic for when you deliver the baby during their pregnancies. Now, the nurse who was assisting my mother, when I was born, my lips were pink. Wow. She was calling me pinky pinky until I grew up with pinky, but funny enough, it's not my Name in the ID, my proper name is Selena. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up being Pinky, but it's not a real name, it's a nickname from my nest.
1: And for some reason, it stuck all these years. Thank you so much for joining us. Your story is well documented. You've probably had this conversation a million times. Who is my Pinky? Let's get to know you a bit better,
0: my Pinky. She's a single mother with three kids, a boy and two girls. Ma Pinky, she's been a community leader for years in the townships. Pinky went to school at lower primary to secondary. It was Mutsaning, lower primary school. I went to Mabewana High School. And my last school, it was Sikanondwane. During apartheid, they used to call it Beirut. So I attended school there. Then I left my tertiary. I did it at UNISA, but I didn't finish off due to lack of finances. I then did my diploma of executive secretary at Pittman in Bramfontein. It's where I started my job as the secretary of the area commissioner of SAPS. I started working with George Fivers during his exit. Then it was in the DCLAB a little bit. And I've worked with Commissioner Pretorius, went off on a barracking pension. He got his pension. Then I worked for Commissioner Naidu and Commissioner Reedy. I then decided to quit. Before I joined SAPS, I was the lab technician at a UJ today. They used to call it Vista. I worked for eight years at Vista, quitted and joined the SAPs. Then after 10 years, I quitted SAPs because I was working with community in the township. We opened up a feeding scheme for our needy people. And I used to organize some business people around to fund the needy houses in terms of the groceries. And we started food parcels. And there was the outbreak of HIV and AIDS. We used to do some soup kitchens for those people. We then started a small garden at my yard. I had a big yard in Proteet We were planting vegetables and feeding those people. Then later on, I saw the minister sending out a proposal of women coming on board with agriculture. Then I attended those meetings. I was an inspirational farmer by then, 2005, 2006. Ntadim Sungutu, while he was the MEC of Agriculture in Jitart, introduced the school garden. I was a board member by then of SGB. We then spoke to the school inspectors to give us a permission to use the land in the school grounds. They agreed with a letter from Jitart. We then established sixty school grounds. In 60 schools, we were planting only less a hectare, feeding those school children. Then social development came on board. We were supplying those vegetables. People were employed to cook at school for kids to get those food, but we never made any profit out of that. It was out of love. Then I joined WARD when the minister invited us to ICC in Devon 2006, October. I became the chairperson of Jobek Municipality of Women in Agriculture and Rural Development. I then looked for a space to work on my own to make profit, because you can't keep on giving without getting a profit to feed your own kids. I then joined Ward, I became the chairperson of the Jobek. I became the chairperson of the district. I then got a lot in Zirbekoa offered by one woman who was old and she said to me, look, let's work together here. I then organized all the women in Zerbekom and formulated some different cooperatives with the different type of farming. We started working. You know where you are more than five, always there are differences. I then encountered problems because I was the only one from Soweto. Then moved out of that cooperative. Anaposa said to me, Me, Pinky, I can see you've got a passion. I've got a bigger farm now. I'm draining Balimi Balikwa. We were given a bigger farm. While you are still marketing the farm, can you come and utilize my plot? It's a 2.5 hectare in syrup. I went there. She was doing piggery, but I was concentrating on vegetables. That's the skill I had by then. Then started attending trainings for poultry piggery livestock while I was developing myself at Anasplot. Not forgetting that I submitted my application, I was called with a cooperative for interview, we never succeeded. I was called with another co-op, we never succeeded. I then went solo, applied there was a farm somewhere in Mahalis and I was called for interview also. Still I never succeeded. But I never gave up. I kept on planting at another plot. I got a huge market of pick and pay. I was supplying five family stores of pick and pay, not on my plot only, but also collecting vegetables from other surrounding farmers. I was buying and supplying pick and pay. Sometimes the demand is too big. I will 1 a.m. wake up and go to the fresh produce market in Pretoria and Jobek to collect pick and pay orders, come back, package it and go and supply to the stores so that I service the market for us because I was not supplying alone. I also involved other women since I was leading women in agriculture. And pick and pay became interested to listen to our story. In terms of pricing, they called a big management meeting of all these family stores and the superstores. Well, we had an agreement of certain prices and everything went well. Within two years, while I was in Didier, the minister, by then it was in Datinkwinti, he called a broader meeting at Bejut. We attended that meeting and he said people must voice out their problems. And that time, I was sitting on the land tenure committee on behalf of what, And when I raised my hand, he was scared and said, hey, where well, now what do you want because you are part of the committees here I know you're sitting in several committees I <laughs> said but I'm a father that has a problem I don't have a land for him it was a shock because I started developing women nationally with Minister Luingwana and he knows me from Eastern Cape he then gave me an opportunity I spoke all my problems that I've been moving from pillar to post I've been submitting my applications and I've been uh, submitting close to 110 farms. Most of the women are sitting in those farms. My time, it's not yet there. I don't know what's happening. He then said, "I where is the management of counting?" Fortunately, Mary was there, Fundiswa and Foster. They spoke and really in the morning, six o'clock, I was called to come to the reception. I was brought to this farm where I am, which was 2014. And they signed me up 2014 in, in October. It's where I am now in this big farm.
1: And this is where the story really gets interesting. It's amazing for me that you went from farming in your backyard to farming on a school garden, to farming on Anaposa's land, to now having a yeah. land of <laughs> close to 500 hectares. What a journey. Let's talk about that because not many people actually know What happened after that? Because you started farming off in in 2014 on this land that you are currently on. Take us back. When you got the land, I believe you had about 15 Brahman and 15 Simbra cows, but Mm -hmm. something happened there. What was it? Yes,
0: You know, 2014 when I started, I had beautiful, beautiful Brahman and and Simbra kettles. I had three bulls, the Brahman Cimental. Before I started here, the previous owner, requested the department to ask me to come for in-service training. He was reluctant when he saw me. He said, hey, this woman, do you think he's going to manage the cattle farm? Well, luckily, I've got a passion and I had several trainings about agriculture. We sat down, we spoke with him, and he saw that I'm interested. And he trained me and he became open and gave me all the programs that he was running with this kettles he had because he never planted field. It was only kettles in the swamp. And we went on until the following year, 2015. There was an advert of Nguni kettles. They requested me to apply. I applied. I had the feeding nutrition program and vaccination program for my kettles. Then I was introduced to Denguni. I didn't know that we've got a veterinary system. I was buying and vaccinating my own cattle, buying my own medication with the program I was given by the previous owner. Then they requested the blood test of my animals. I said, blood test? They sent the state a veterinary. Denise came on board and said, Mama, you are not on the system. I don't know why. In This farm, it doesn't show us that you've got kettles here. And apparently it's a going concern farm. You know what, let's talk to the land reform. I called my project manager. She said, no, 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 you are the system. This farm was bought four years back before you came on board. And unfortunately, the person who was supposed to be part of that farm passed on even before signing. Maybe it's because of the names. Then they communicated as officials. I saw him coming with a pitch, asked us to put the kettles in the crawl, did all the tests, took the blood test, came back the results. By then, the kettles in three years' time, they were about 90. I never bought a kettle outside since I was farming with these kettles I found in this farm, and I never sold any. I was still having the, the bulls, still having the heifers and the calves. Tested, all the results came and said 90 kettles the entire crawl is positive with pulsenosis. Then he started teaching me all those sicknesses. Hey, I was so frustrated. I didn't understand why. When he looked at my program of vaccination, he said to me, uh uh-uh, uh, don't ever use a certain vaccination, remove it from this because that's why you don't see them being miscarried or getting sick or maybe refusing to eat, those symptoms, you know, because of this type of Vaccination. And should you put this vaccination, we wouldn't even see that you've got a problem of procedosis. He did this while he was selling the farm so that when they test the animals, they shouldn't show up the sign. I started stopping that medication every three months when they come. 25 is positive, 30 is. But then, senior state vet said to me, Mediatana, I, I was thinking, let's sell the entire crop. You then restart on a clean slate. You leave the farm to rest for a year. Then you refertilize your camps. There comes stock theft. They stole 78 highly pregnant with twins because every time I was doing the pregnancy test, was in operation full-time with my son. While we are worried about the 78, we only managed to get three out of it when we follow the tracks they And left them behind because they were still lambs.
1: It must have been a major blow because you just recovered from
0: high blood after that. It's still small things. After that, they left me for a year. I built it up again. I bought others. I had 200 by then. While we are waiting for them to calve, only 15 calves, we keep on watching them. I've got alarm system here, the beams. Uh -uh. I heard the cutting torch in the structure, cutting something. But we thought it's a gate. We went out midnight. We looked around. We never saw anything. Comes back into the house, the bedroom where I'm sleeping, it's towards the structures. And I'm not a person who's sleeping deeply, you know. I heard the sound again. We went out. Dogs were biking. I had 15 dogs. Only three dogs remained. They poisoned the rest. The worst part, we didn't see anything, went back to the house. Around 3 a.m., I heard my Jack Russell screaming only once. It was like a kick. We never saw anything. Went back to the house only to find they cut off the fence at my neighbor, far right, and then they opened up. They took all the fence Across the road, I've got another piece of land with a reservoir and the windmill. They made sort of a ramp with that fence. They put all these animals inside the reservoir, and they managed to load them. So the canine came in the morning. They checked and said it was five people. We looked around. We looked everywhere, searched with the informers of the police, no need. Lately, we found the lead to Fosloras. When we went there, they were all sold. Highly twins pregnant. I developed sicknesses, arthritis. As we speak, I'm walking with a stick, but I won't give up. Someone will listen to your story
1: and think that, you know, after everything that you've been through, Mabingi, why are you still farming? <laughs> to
0: be honest, Duncan, being a farmer, you need to be a prayer person not necessarily to go to church per se but you need to have hope to have trust to have a passion
1: your story is definitely inspiring and those that are listening to this conversation i know will definitely draw inspiration from it we've talked about how you started and all of the challenges that you faced in your journey let's quickly talk business do you have a livestock focus, cattle and sheep? Then you also have maize, soya and, and vegetables as well. Tell us this diversified approach. Why do that?
0: Firstly, I looked at the farm. I discovered that it has a virgin soil more than 20 years, never planted. And it's very costly when you started planting on your own. And I approached the department that, look, it's a livestock farm, but I'm also interested On maize, I want to do grain. Grain, it's going to also supplement my animals because after harvesting, I will manage to manufacture my own feed. I will just buy less supplements to mix with my leftover grain. Some, I will sell them for cash flow. Some, I will leave them in the farm for feeding animals. So I started uh, manufacturing my own feed Creating jobs for other people because after harvesting, people has to pick up those crops that were left by the harvester. So so far since we started, we employed about 38 people every year when we pick up maize on the floor. It's also building our cash flow uh, for me to be able to pay the chores of the farm, electricity, the workers. You can't stay without eating in the farm. That's another important thing. And remember, these farms mostly are damaged. The structures and the houses, you need to maintain them. So that cash flow, it's helping us on that and also to keep the farm going. That's why I planted maize on 200 hectares. I divided by 100, it's yellow maize, and 100 I was putting soya. But now, 100 of soya, are divided into 250, it's soya. 25, I'm the green, green maize. 25, it's a white maize. Why the green maize? Since after the COVID, we dropped our sales too much. And remember, we were affected by brucellosis. The new contract I'm with, CERNIC, I'm not making any profit yet. So, with the green maize, it will help us to sustain the farm. Just after 2 years I'll be back on my feet again with my livestock.
1: Thanks for sharing that because that's so important for a farmer to see that you know when one part of the business isn't doing well in this case being livestock be not making any profit yet nice. that you do look at other options and in your case it being the maize and also the vegetables that you farm with I cannot imagine you know that you know when running a diversified Operation water management must an important key to your success. How do you manage your water resources on your farm to not only support your maize cultivation and vegetable cultivation, but also keep the cattle hydrated?
0: Remember on maize I'm planting grain, it's on dry land. I depend on rain on dry land. And on vegetables, I've got irrigation for one hectare. I'm just increasing it uh, slowly out of the cash flow I have. And the water dams that I have, the reservoirs, also assisting each camp it has the water through. And that water from the reservoir, they are also assisting in terms of watering the vegetable plot. I'm depending on that and fortunate the farm I'm in, it has enough water. It's not far from Val River. And when they put a borehole, recently Gidart just gave me one borehole to boost. I've got a pivot that since then still more than five years. Now they assisted with a borehole close by, just waiting for them to finish off. Then I can connect that pivot so that I'll be able to make another cash flow out of that pivot. But for now, I'm managing it well from the reservoirs to. The water throws of the kettles, they do have water the whole day. They are not battling because I'm changing. Remember, I'm not using all the camps at the same time. I'm also leaving other camps for winter and autumn. I'm not opening this water to all of the water throws. only specific camps where the animals are.
1: So let's talk about markets for your maize as well as for your soya and vegetables. Who are your markets? Where are they located? And maybe share some insights into your approach yes, um, to marketing.
0: With the crops, my market it's then the silos play silos. It's where I'm taking my yellow maize and white maize and soya. But part of it I'm also manufacturing my own feed for my own animals. And with vegetables, I've got formal and informal. The formal market with vegetables, I'm taking it to the fresh produce market. I stopped supplying the pick and pay because change of management in the pick and pay it has killed some of us who made better arrangements before. The pricing is no longer good. I then focused supplying on impala and subtropical in fresh produce market. There's a new youth, our own youth, they are planting. And they are the agents also of the market. They are new. We have started supplying them, seeing how we will develop them. Because for us, it's a good thing to give our own black farmers a business from black to black. I'm not racist. <laughs> <laughs> we are trying to develop our own youth. Because um, these young ladies are youth. I absolutely love
1: this. You know, someone you know might be listening to the conversation and think. A farmer as big as you farming on the scale that you are, you shouldn't even be thinking about supplying to the informal market. But here you have my pinky that's actually doing it. Why would you say why is that so important?
0: The informal market, we find it better than the formal market. Formal market, it has lots of red tapes. If they produce it's from, I will make an example with the fresh produce market. They always complain about us not packaging well. They always complain about us being our products, getting rotten earlier on the shelves and whatnot, and which is not true. I once planted the spring onion. It was so beautiful. I took it to fresh Produce in Jopek. I won't mention the name of the company. It was around 1 a.m. because I wanted to buy another veggies to supply at Pick and Pay. I went to the same shelf to buy my produce. They bought it at good price. You know, when they pay me, it was like out of the 10 rent that was sold to the people. For me, they gave me three rent per punch. I then said, why? Because I bought it myself. Before I even told them that I bought it myself, one of the workers on the floor told me that your spring onion is finished and it's needed agently. But my worry is one, Mama. Please label your things because they take your produce. Give it to Mr. Fonseilor. Mr. Whoever, the white farmer, and take the white farmer's uh, spring onion that is not beautiful as yours, that is not taken care of like yourself. They put it under your company's name. We then discovered that they are swapping our produce. We then stopped supplying until we had a meeting with the CEO at the market, inform them about the whole scenario. They then monitor them and put our own black people in the markets to assist us. We then went back to supply. But we find it that in terms of pricing, our informal market, you put your own price, people are buying. Are buying and they come and even put an order in advance. I remember when I planted potatoes, I took about 110 bags to the market. Each bag was sold by 25 rand. But when I delivered to the stores around here informally, each bag was bought by 60 rand. You see the difference. That's why the informal market sometimes is good for us and also to uplift those people who are trying their best to sell, to make the leaf. Let's come to the animals, where the market of livestock, where I'm selling my kettles. Fortunate because of Cernic programs. Cernic is on board. It's a formal market. And we are happy with the pricing because they are the breed starters. Remember, Cernic also has an abattoir. They are about to country meat. We do have the contract with them. We also supply to the country meat.
1: That's definitely amazing. You know, just hearing you talk about, you know, the challenges that you still have to face as a farmer who's been in the industry for close to two decades now. It seems like you're still fighting issues that you were fighting back then. It's definitely a conversation on its own. But back to budgeting and managing finances. How do you do this for you know for both cattle and maize enterprise? We-
0: I would say thank thanks to God who made me to love trainings. <laughs> Why I'm saying this, you know, my file it's full of certificates. I was asking somebody how to convert these certificates into one degree or one diploma, because <laughs> they are all accredited. Yes. <laughs> the financial trainings, time to time, even the advanced one. Last year, I attended the advanced one. Hence, today, we know how to change our business plan. We know how to inject it, and we know how to budget for this farm With the yield that we have from the grain, We and the vegetables, we reinvest the money back into the ground for the following year to maximize the profits. And we do the same with the kettles. And once we did that, we know how to sustain this farm afterwards. That's how our profits, we make sure that we divide them accordingly. We make sure that the money that comes, the budget that comes from the yielded of grain and, and, and vegetables. We plant it back through grain and vegetables. For animals, we do the same, especially the cattle. We do the same and remember that we don't sell the heifers. The heifers are rebuilding the breeding stock. Now, if we see that we have made enough profit out of it, we will manage by maybe injecting it to the vegetables or injecting it to the grain, or either we invest it so that we wait for the rainy days where we have problems. Then we know that we've got a safety net kit where we can open it up and buy something. I'm one person who is also, I'm teaching my own kids because I've got three kids Yeah, It's two girls and one boy, but I'm full time with my son in the farm. The two girls requested to go and work for two years. So that they know how to catch a salary, then they can come back, inject some funds to the farm and work with us, which for me, I find it very great. I always teach my son that, look, we need to have a safety net account always, because if we don't, some rainy times, we will run around looking for money, making some irrelevant loans that we don't have to. If did that, maybe they can tell you that I came to the office, make noise, looking for help for this and that and that. Uh-uh. We are not those type of people. We receive help when they think it's time for me to get help. But if I see that the thing is needed in the farm, I stand up on my own, go to my coffers. If they are not enough, I make means to knock to the investors to see who can invest on such and such so that we manage our finances and move forward. So always the money of the kettles, we build them to feed back to the animals, to build up the score, the body score of the animal. Because the body score, it's not only on grazing. You also buy the supplement, hence part of the, of the grain. And also after harvesting, we paint those waste on the ground so that we crush it because we've got the, the, the burying amamil and the mixer. We always grind them and organize our own feeding. And we also sell it to the farmers who need feed desperately at a lower cost because we do it on our own. We don't condone that we should sell it always to the farmers because our crawl is growing. We've got these alien trees that Dart helped us when they were removing the bankrupt bush that was eating our camps. After we remove them, then they remove the alien trees. We sub-branch them and cut them to firewood. Every year we are selling the firewood, build up the cash flow of the farm. And I'm also buying cutted pork from Anna. I'm going to current beef, buy the bones and cut it on my own. Package it, go to township, sell it to the people. You see it's January people are in need of yes, <laughs>
1: in of meat of food. bones. <laughs>
0: yes, meaty bones. We sell those meaty bones even trying to convert my double garage here into a mini butchery but not to sell cash on the farm. We use it as a working station where we'll be cutting packaging receiving orders and supply. The one I want to build it for my son to build his own cash flow.
1: I am so inspired to hear everything that you've been through as a farmer and, and, you know, how you've grown over the years, that you are what we call still a hustler to so many years.
0: You know, Minister, at some stage you asked me, I can see you are limping, you are using a stick. How do you manage the farm? I said, you know what, this stick of mine is used to it, used to this farm because without working out with this stick and hustle, the farm will never succeed. I am not sleeping and I'm always encouraging other farmers that it's not all about government to give you the freebies so that you sustain your farm. Go out, there are lots of companies there who are waiting for us to knock at the door. It's not the department that will make you a commercial farmer, but it's you who will stand up and look for funds outside to make yourself a commercial farm.
1: Right, over to our farmer question. This week's question comes from Free State, Tobelo Mbele, and he has a question about agritourism. That's an interesting one. His question is answered by Mbongi Kuzwayo, who has recently introduced agritourism to a beautiful village in KwaZulu-Natal. Let's hear from them.
2: Hi,
0: my name is Tibelombele. I run a 100-hectare maize farm with my father in Free State. My dad and I have been thinking about incorporating agritourism what would you say? What types of agritourism activities are
2: popular and could be profitable for our farm? Yes, my man. First of all, I want to know from Mr. Mpel what is it that is around their farm that can attract people like nature, like hills, rivers, the forest, maybe? Because if we talk about agritourism, we know that it's agriculture plus tourism. Tourism is a part of land. And that's where we can maybe, let's say, like the one that he got some hills. Maybe they can do the hiking on that one. Maybe they can go in the forest and see the types of trees that people they don't know, maybe by names. Those things that they form part of tourism. The nature itself, you have to look around his place. What is happening? Like here in Lalazi, around the shower, like a tourism center, this one. So we've got Bulawayo, the homestead for King Shaka. We've got places like Eshowa, Eshowa itself, something with the history, with the tourism, along the tourism area. If people, they come here along to show, I can invite them to my place. Like my place, I'm a goat farmer. Besides farming with the goat, some people, they didn't even eat a meat or a goat. So maybe they can come to my place and have a goat meet experience. Maybe we can sit around bonfire and then they can talk and then we can see the nature. So for him, he must look around for his area. Town as well, maybe his town got some history, something. That's something that happened a long time ago. Maybe we can embark on that one and try to, to do something out of that thing. Maybe like his town is not far away from him. Maybe he can try to introduce something new. Like people, they can ride their horse going to town. Or donkeys can pull something like a trailer, transporting something to town. Just to do something which is... Maybe that thing was done a long time ago, but you must pull it back now. Because people, some other people, they didn't experience that thing. So by the time they, they see that thing... Maybe they can come and enjoy that day. And also, because is doing, is planting the maze. Maybe by that he can, he can get some people to come and see the process, how do you, you plant the maze? And another thing, because he's planting, maybe he can get some pets, can plant some other things that are eaten by the pets, and then he can collect those pets, and then people they come and see different types of pets. you can there are a lot of things that he can do around the farm maybe there's a river along the farm he can use that river for people to come and swim along the river experience that that's part of tourism
1: Join us again next time when we meet another seasoned steward of the earth, ready to guide the next generation of farmers. Then not miss out on the exclusive article covering this episode. Make sure you stay tuned to www.foodfromzanzi.co.za to be the first to read it. To our amazing audience, of farmers and agriculture enthusiasts, thank you for joining us and remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform of course, so that you can never miss an episode. From me, Duncan Masiwa, our technical producer, Megan Funderfend, and the rest of hashtag TeamFoodForMzanzi, if things get a little hard this year, remember to address challenges one at a time and seek support from your network. Don't have to face this year's uncertainties alone.